everyone, this is your Cyber Path. This is the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. I'm Kip Boyle. Wes Schreiner is here with me. We are experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity people, and we're here to share with you what we know. Today, we're back with our second video podcast ever. So if you're listening uh, only to us right now, then you either forgot or you didn't get the message that we have a video version of our podcast, which you can go watch. And it's called Your Cyber Path Podcast. If you search for that on YouTube, you'll find our channel and you'll be able to actually watch us. And that's important because we are doing uh, a tour. We're actually giving you a tour right now. We're in the second of three episodes where we are uh, sharing with you how a cybersecurity organization is typically put together. And we're doing this because we want you to know all the different uh, types of jobs that are available. And there are a lot of different types of jobs. Not all of them are entry level. Only a small percentage of them are uh, first-time cybersecurity jobs. But you really need to be thinking about what are you going to do next. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to paint a very big picture for what is possible for you. So having said that, without further ado, Wes. It's good to be here, Kip. I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're getting a chance to jump into this. It's going to be interesting, good stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to take a sip of my tea, and I'm going to let you keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you that uh, we're on a new journey and a new video. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you do, uh, if you are listening by audio only, this might be a great day to move to to video because we are going to have a, a presentation that I think will really enhance your understanding. We'll try and cover it from audio, but if you get a chance to to catch the video later or download the PDF slides later, that would be the way to go. And the way you'll know to download, yeah. So so to watch the video, go to YouTube. But if you just want to download the slides. Look for the URL in the show notes, and uh, you'll be able to retrieve them. Indeed. All right. Uh, today, we're going to cover what, uh, what is a common security service catalog? What are the 23 common services to that common security service catalog? What is a common reporting structure for a large security organization? And we'll set a roadmap for where we're headed from here. Perfect. Should be a lot of fun. I don't know if, if uh, dear listeners, if you've ever heard of a service catalog, um, but it's it's part of the jargon. So let's define that. You've heard it said, I don't even know what they do over there. The service catalog is really how we define what it is they're doing over there, right? It's a list of services. It's uh, uh, the group offers, right? It's inputs, processes, and outputs. Uh, your SIPOC, system input, process, and outputs. Cypoc, man, throwing the jargon around like crazy today. Well, okay, keep if, going. If you recognize the jargon and you can apply it appropriately, you're, it's going to help you along the way. If, yeah, if you, you don't do know need that to pick word, this up. do it at Wikipedia. Just go learn it. It's worth doing, right? Uh, it describes what, we're, what we build, what we do, and what we deliver. And it's really like an order by number menu. Mm -hmm. So let's jump in and see what security services are in a security service catalog. All right. Flipping the slide. We've seen this slide already. This came from us last week. It has the, the primary cybersecurity organization. It has four organizational units, and then it has the 14 disciplines around it. 14, 15. And very helpfully color-coded. 
color coded so that you can find your way around. <laughs> All right. Now I want to introduce the 23 services to a common security service catalog. Uh, these 23 line items are the common services of a large security organization, and they work in every security organization. And everything the security group does can likely be tied back to one of these 23 services. I'm I'm not going to drain all these services at this time. I, I do want to point out that we've got some skipping in numbers, and that's on purpose. Uh, one through eight are your operational security. Ten through 15 are in your engineering, architecture, and test. 20 through 25 are going to be in governance, risk, compliance, and, and the 30s are going to be your product security. So we, we've intentionally skipped some numbers because these things change over time, right? What, what we as a security organization did five years ago has changed. And, and we'll I would change say- again. We've added or removed services every year uh, since since I started started walking through this. So uh, it's going to continue to grow and morph and, and become better over time. So let's see if we can overlay these 23 services on top of our organization. Oh, look at that. Turns out you can. Turns out you... Who knew? <laughs> this is cool. You right? knew. You so, knew all along. Because <laughs> you built these slides. <laughs> I do want to point out that this is not a one-to-one -one relationship between the organization and the services provided. Uh, you see there's some overlap. There's some, some gray area in there where, where 13 is covering two different disciplines. It's because that's, that's kind of how, how it works sometimes, right? It's not a linear uh, discipline to service catalog in every case, right? But all disciplines support service catalogs, and all work we do is usually rolled up under one of our services. And you know, Wes, uh, in my experience, I have rarely actually seen the service catalog um, printed and posted, and you know, something that that I could actually thumb through or look at. Usually, what True. I see is an org chart, mm. and and then I kind of have to, by looking at the names of the organization units, I kind of have to like, you know, uh, squint and go, I think that's you know what these guys are doing. And if I go to them, I can I can actually say, well, do you do this? Do you not do this? Um, that's how I'm used to discovering what services are offered is just by going to the people in the different units and asking them. Um, but I don't know. Have you actually seen it documented uh, in any way like, like you're showing us now? This is the first time I've seen this documented this way. I know that some organizations do build out their security service catalog, and I have seen a security service catalog. In fact, I've seen the services mapped with inputs, process, and outputs to each other. So you can follow linearly through the organization as well. That is not what we're proposing here. We're just starting with, let's define the 23 functions. Okay. Let's become familiar with those functions. And, and of course, it's not going to help you if you show up and say, well, Wes said, this is what your job is. <laughs> That's not going to help said, you. you should have, you should actually have a service catalog printed that I can flip That's through. not going to help me. That's not going to help anyone. Yeah. You do approach and say, hey, so what is it you do? Use this as a reference in your head to help you mm -hmm. understand when they use keywords that, that you recognize, you can associate them with this service catalog and understand that's where, okay, I see where they are on the map. I understand. Right, right, right. And I just, every time I look at this slide, I'm like, okay, so I'm at the mall and I want to find the nearest Starbucks. Where is it? And the people that Starbucks... They never look at the map, right? They just know what they do. And so I don't even talk to them about the map. I just show up in order. 
Well, I will tell you that one of the life skills of working as a professional in an organization is to understand your relationship to the customer. Mm. What is it I do and how do I help the customer's experience be better? How do I help this company make money? And if I can understand my relationship to the customer and to how the company makes money, <clears throat> then I am going to be much more successful in my career, right? For sure. And so this service catalog is part of understanding that. And I want to call out service catalogs come from ITIL, the IT Infrastructure Library, uh, ITIL. And that is a uh, jargon that I'd like you to go look up as well, because that's a common IT operations framework for how does IT, how do technology organizations function? Definitely. The service catalog is just one of the, the ways, one of the mechanisms the ITIL offer. And I, and I recommend it as, as one of the things to start with when reading up on ITIL. Um, I do want to call out a, a kudos to Aaron Weller, who he and I put this together uh, six or seven years ago. And so uh, thank you, Aaron, for all your help in building this. And uh, uh, I'd love to have you on the show one day. All yeah, right, let's invite him. We will. We'll get a chance to. So part of strong security leadership is defining for your organization what you're doing and, and what delivery is expected, right? If we don't define for our folks what they're doing and what's expected, then they're not going to understand and they're just going to kind of run towards the next thing that looks like a fire, right? Uh, we can efficiently deliver key services for our business partners when we assign roles and responsibilities and hold people accountable to delivering on specific deliverables such that our organization isn't, isn't one-sided. Okay, so we've introduced the service catalog. Again, I haven't read through them. Um, I'm going to do that on the next slide. So we're going to go one more slide, and then it should be fun. Uh, Great. Let's see where we go with this. I really like this, Wes, because, you know, what you said a moment ago, um, you're helping the audience get into the head of the hiring manager, right? What is the hiring manager thinking about? And and, and how are they using that to evaluate job candidates, right? Is somebody going to help you serve your internal customers or not? I mean, that's, that's really important. So not only are we giving you a tour of the security organization, but we're also cluing the audience in to <laughs> how hiring managers think. Indeed. And I want to thank you for sticking with me all the way to this slide. This one is it. This is our money slide for today. I'm really excited about this slide. This is a first time release to the world. So da 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 da, da right? It's here. And thank you for releasing it on your CyberPath. There you Let's go. And so this will become our anchor diagram for the entire course, right? For everything that we cover here. We'll be referring to it every week as we build on the concepts of interdependent security organizations. We built this from a single cybersecurity organization to defining 28 individual teams, 23 service catalog items. Let's dive in and take a look. Great. If we start at the bottom, we've got an operation, security operations. We've already heard about that as an organization. We know that they do uh, the security operations center, the CERT, and the forensics functions. Inside those disciplines, we have inquiries, secu security inquiries. Inquiries might be, and this is, I'm sorry, uh, the number one is inquiries. We're going to manage the security email inbox. We're, we're not, uh, it's probably not a dedicated staff team to manage that inbox. It's, it's sort of a thing the SOC just does along with everything else that they do, mm. right? So it's kind of the front desk for the, whole, for the whole thing? Very much so. Okay. And then they're also going to do number two, monitor security events, right? And that's a 24-7 team identifying and investigating events. I want to be very clear. An event is not an incident until it grows up. 
right? Uh, events are things that happen in our environment and they get alerted and or they don't get alerted for that matter. Uh, but when we have an event, we get to investigate it and determine if there's an incident or not. And and so that's how we're going to follow this through. Events are evaluated when we monitor security events. Um, and this is a great place in your career to get started. This is where I would guess half of security starts is in the security operations center as their first first security job. Would you All agree right. with that, Kip? Would you add anything to that? I, I think that's correct. And um, and and at the same time, I'll, I'll also uh, say that you're you're kind of you know you could think of this as paying some dues because um, sometimes this work can be a bit of a grind. So it there also you go. puts you in a spot where you learn everything about the enterprise. You learn how everything turns in and out. You know what events are are triggered and what mat which ones matter and which ones don't. Oh my gosh, it's a unique perspective. It's powerful. It it positions you well for a strong career in security. And it, it, it is very common. You grow from this into the CERT, the Cyber Incident Response Team, the CIRT or CERT. Uh, CERT has two service catalog items. Incident response is number three and security countermeasures is number four. Uh, a verified event becomes an incident and the incident is handled by your incident response team. I'm going to leave that one here for now. They're probably going to run an, a, a MITRE attack framework. And we can we can go into more detail on that when we when we go into that service itself, right? Um, and we'll do that in a subsequent episode, right? Indeed, in a future that episode. Is, okay, that's promised and and exciting. It's on the horizon. It's coming, <laughs> and it gives you it gives you everybody a reason to come back. <laughs> Indeed, uh, the set, the fourth one is security countermeasures, and that's hard, right? It's hard to attribute uh, accountability for an attack to an attacker. Uh, Oftentimes, there's a pawn in between the attacker and your organization that is uh, uh, that that takes the attribution, and that becomes very difficult for. Uh, so there are very few small or medium-sized organizations that do much in security countermeasures. You've got to be a large organization to do uh, threat attribution and and countermeasures. Yeah. Yep. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time. It does. Uh, there, we are starting to see companies offer services where you can where you can create a honey bucket and, and drop them into a black hole so that if an attacker is coming in, it just drops into the black hole. They don't even know they're in the black hole and they just wander around aimlessly and it's, it's fun to watch them. Uh, but even that takes uh, some organizational fortitude to put that in place. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. All right. So the third function out of security operations is your forensics function. This is your digital forensics. It's number five. Uh, this is the team that owns their toolkit and the authority to go anywhere and see anything as long as they have proper approvals, right? This team is all about accountability, chain of custody, and ready for deposition. And, and, and understanding the deep, dark details behind how things actually work, like browser history. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And other things, right? Like how files are created and deleted on a, on a, a spinning disk or on an SSD. Um, you know, all this stuff is very much behind the scenes for most people, but there is a ton of data down there if you know how to decode it. There is. All right, so now we're going into security tools, and this is an interesting area. Uh, it seems like a really small area until you open it up and you go, wow, there's, there's a whole world inside here. So inside the operate security tools, you've got internal security team tools. That would be tools the security team uses to do their business. That might be the GRC tool, it might be vulnerability scanner, might be the forensics toolkit, it might be SOC or SIM, it might be your CERT tools. 
your threat intel feeds. It could be your team analytics functions. Uh, it's how, how about a ticketing system? Yep. Or service you gotta, requests. You got to know okay. what comes and goes. Yep. Good. Then it's also going to maintain your company facing security tools like your antivirus or your AppSec scanners, right? They're also going to own your product security tools if you're offering a, a product uh, a services to your customer, right? Then, then you may be monitoring the services and, and, and uh, uh, protecting your, your services in a secure way as well, okay. right? You, you could have a parallel organization with incident response for both internal and then external customers. Right. So in the last episode, you gave Xbox as an example, right? That's of, true. Of product security, right? So that means that people are logging into their Xbox accounts. So that's an entire infrastructure of identity and access management that needs to be uh, running at all times and, mm-hmm. uh, and then diagnosed and fixed when necessary. Yeah, yeah. This is also the team that owns the relationships with company security tools that aren't owned by security, right? So if you've got a Splunk, Splunk is very much a security, com- has a security component to it and is very much a part of, of what we do for logging and alerting. The exchange infrastructure, the Active Directory, maybe your privileged user management like CyberArk or something like that. We're going to be you. We this team owns the relationship with all of those security tools around the organization. Either they own those tools or they own the relationship with them, right? I want to call out that this team is a great place to transfer in from other parts of IT. Ah, uh, okay. So if you're a database admin, systems administrator, still database sort of thing, administration. Right? It's still systems administration, right? And now you're a lot closer to being inside security because you're operating security tools. That's great. So there's a side door that you may not realize uh, people who are watching and listening right now. And then the, 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 the next part of the security tools is really your continuous automation functions, right? We've got to get better. We've got we to gotta purge our technical debt. And the best way to do that is a continuous automation function that's going to be in your security tools team. It's primarily associated with these security tools, but they can do it for any piece, right? This is... This is an internal tools and development team. All right. All right. I want to I look at that third discipline under security operations, uh, lights on operations. Um, I, you'll see me abbreviate quite a bit with KTLO or keep the lights on. Uh, this is very much the services that security runs that if they don't work, the company ain't working, right? We would say at Nordstrom, if you can't sell shoes, it's not going to help you, right? <laughs> How does this exactly. help me sell more shoes, right? Yep. Or, or in this case, if these services are down, I can't sell shoes, and that's a problem, right? So these are keep the lights on operations. Some of the security functions, if it's not working, we can bypass it. It'll fail open. We can keep working. Uh, some of these security functions, when they fail closed, we have a very serious business problem. And so understanding those, uh, identity and access management is the first one, right? This could live in the security tools. It could live in the keep the lights on. I actually prefer that one here because without it, the company can't go to work, right? This is also a great place for for a professional to get started in their career, right? This is IT operations, and it's it's very much understanding how does identity and access management work. It's a powerful place to be. Yeah, and that's a really important service anywhere, is you know is is you've got to be able to identify people before you give them access to stuff. So super important to understand how that works. And you're going to be doing APIs. You're going to be doing Open SAML and SAML communications. Uh, you're going to be 
integrating with every application in your company if you're building a single sign-on tool. All right. Uh, the second, second team in there is your network and firewall management team. Now, that team may or may not actually uh, be inside security. If they are inside security, they would absolutely be in this area of security, right? There may be a network engineering team separate from security, and that's great. If firewalls live there, the more the better, right? Yeah, and I've had that. I've had that situation where I inherited a, a security program where the firewall administrators were members of the security team. I ultimately ended up packaging that up and, and shipping it off to the IT department and having the network administrators actually take that over. And my business case for that was I couldn't have I couldn't add more people to my team, but there were some high value activities that I wanted to be able to do. Uh, in other words, there were parts of my service catalog mm-hmm. that I wasn't feeling like I was putting enough time and energy into. And so I looked around and I said, well, what services can I minimize or just uh, you know, hand off to somebody else uh, so that I can invest more energy into these other areas? And so this ended up being the answer for me. Well, and it sounds like that service catalog could also be used as an audit criteria or a self-scorecard to be able to say, how am I doing against the common services that I would expect to be doing in a security organization? And if I want to invest more in this area, how am I going to save some money over mm-hmm. here? And it sounds like that's a great plan. Yeah, and so that's that's another example of how hiring managers think, right? I mean, these are problems that we don't typically share with the team, right, until we've made some kind of a decision that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I, I think this is the direction we're going to go in. What do you, you know, give me your feedback. Um, but, you know, there's, a, there's so much that a hiring manager is doing that they're not necessarily sharing with team members because they're just, you know, just isn't a need to know. And, uh, and I've actually found that if I overshare, it can confuse people. Uh, confuse people, uh, make them insecure, or potentially feel like maybe they don't have as much of a future, as strong a future as they'd hope to have here. And, it, and then yeah. they might leave voluntarily before before anything negative happens. And that's, that's kind of lousy too, right? Or maybe um, nothing negative is going to happen and I'm just exploring exactly. a possibility, right? It just exactly. kind of makes people feel uncomfortable. So got to watch out for that. All right. Uh, so now we're looking at service catalog item eight, operations by security, right? And that bridges both the network and firewall management and shared security services. That shared security services could be any function that lands in a shared security services space, right? So maybe it's your VPN. Maybe it's the firewalls. Maybe it's encryption as a service. Actually, any as a service, right? Could be your cloud services. It could be tokenization calls. Um, Okay. And when you say shared, who's sharing these things? These are all shared internal IT services that are shared by multiple teams, right? If I have a centralized API infrastructure where instead of creating point-to-point communications on every API, I run everything through a centralized maybe Apogee solution, right? Uh, That may be owned by my development team or it may be owned by my security team. And if the security team owns the Apogee interface, then every plugin that goes into that Apogee uh, has, has security criteria that we want to see met in order to be a citizen in our Apogee community. That's a great example. Thank you. Now let's turn that on its head. If Apogee lives in your technology teams, in your, in your uh, IT team, that's just fine as long as your security team is driving requirements into your Apogee to understand this is, how, this is the policy for how it should be run. These are the expectations for uh, how you should secure the application. And then these are the expectations for how uh, when a data uh, subscriber or a data provider wants to enlist uh, uh, 
this is the expectation, right? I want, I want a mutually authenticated encrypted communication channel, et cetera. Sorry, I'm, so does I'm, that bring us to the end of the security organization? Or, does, sorry, security operations? That takes us to the end of security operations. Sorry, I got lost there in the APIs. That was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, you're the first, right? You're the first to get lost. I can't in the APIs. be the first. <laughs> I can't be the first. All right, right so, follow the string out. So I'm going to go to the top right of the architecture diagram. We're going to see security engineering architecture and test. Um, I want to call out the top two, and I'm going to do them by contrasting the two. The first one is security strategy and architecture, and the second one is solution engineering and architecture. They sound very similar. Think of strategy and architecture as your five-year roadmap. This is your number 10 security architecture function, but this is your roadmap and your reference architecture for where are we going as a company long-term in, in our technology roadmap and in our security roadmap, and how do, they, how do they work together? In contrast, number 11 is your IT project support. This is your solution engineering and architecture team, and it's very much focused on solution engineering and solution architecture. This is every solution we build keeps the promises we've made to protect data for our customers. Mm. Right? Okay, so would an example here be like a, uh, a self-service customer portal or something like that? Uh, exactly. It could be a self-service customer portal. It could be any widget our company creates. Uh, okay. Whether it's customer facing or internal, if it's handling customer data, we made promises to our customers, our stakeholders, and our shareholders that we will protect your data to a reasonable level in these ways. Uh, and we made those statements and they, they invested in us, whether they invested their data or their time or their money or their commitment or, or you know, their, their, their shares, right? And right. So, so in whatever way they're invested in us, we need to keep those promises. And this is about keeping that promise at the design and architecture level of every solution the company creates, right? Got it. All right. So let's keep moving because I, I don't want to get, oh, let's call out. You can do a lot of very senior roles in that team, right? Yeah. This is a great spot for the senior, senior security technology or senior, senior technologist who has been writing code for 20 years and has been telling the people around them that it's, it's time to write your code better, right? It's time to administrate your database better. And, and maybe they're at a spot where they could do that specifically for security and be very effective in a role. Yeah. Uh, we need a lot of gray beards in there, right? It's a great place for it. Um, uh, I've seen some gals who are really effective in those roles as well, right? Very oh, mentoring, very coaching, very, uh, yeah. uh, because uh, if we just as policy says in this role, it's not going to last very long. You've got to build the business case for why the people who built it need to, or, or are planning to build it, need to modify their design. All right. So next step down, we're looking at number 12, vulnerability management with the team of the same name. This is your hygiene team. This is scanning. This is patching. This is checking your assets to make sure that, A, you know which ones are your assets, and then, B, how healthy are they, right? If we're running Windows 95, we've got a problem. <laughs> and your vulnerability management team should be able to identify what servers are running down-rev applications and operating systems. Right, right. And then they're also going to be the ones making uh, mitigation recommendations, aren't they? Oftentimes there will be mitigation recommendations. This is also the team when, when uh, uh, your boss gets a phone call from their friend and says, hey, uh, uh, have you, do you know, are you, are you uh, subject to Poodle? Is Poodle going to get you guys? <laughs> this is the team that can go scan your environment and look for SSL versus TLS to determine 
well, we're internally vulnerable, but not externally vulnerable. We've already gone to TLS 1.2 externally. Right? This is so funny. I just have to make a comment right now um, how interesting it is that some of these really big vulnerabilities actually have their own branding, right? They've become like celebrity <laughs> vulnerabilities. Isn't we that all crazy? knew what I said when I said it. And if you I haven't, just, Google the a, Poodle vulnerability and have some fun and then go look at Heartbleed. And yeah, then go Heartbleed, back, yeah. And then... <laughs> And then step in the time machine and go look up Melissa and SQL Slammer just for fun. Oh, all geez. right. All I'm right. Blast the past. Keep going. All right. Uh, <laughs> the next team is application security. And your next function is really number 13, security testing. Security testing bridges four teams, really application security, the security functional test team, bug bounty, and also your penetration testing. Uh, but understand, uh, I've called out application security specific because this is a growth area. This is a spot where we're investing as a security organization in 2020. Uh, it's very much an area where we're getting better fast. This is yeah, the team because that, they, the, the number of applications is just proliferating. This is the team that owns the security decisions through the delivery pipeline. They own the code repositories, internal and third party. They own the shared libraries and coding best practices. Uh, and, and I'm sorry. When I say own, I mean they own the security story for each of those activities. Those mm -hmm, are rarely mm -hmm. owned inside the security organization. And, you know, I think this is the future, too, because applications are becoming serverless, right? So Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Lambda is, is on the rise in every direction. Yep. All right. Uh, security functional testing really validates the security requirements that, that we saw in IT project support, right? If your solution architect gave you requirements, your security functional testing team should be testing against those requirements to validate that they've been met or not met on go live. Once it's gone live, your bug bounty team, this is part of your testing organization, is really your bug bounty team. It's usually one or two individuals. They're leaning, uh, they've got a, a third party contract that is receiving uh, external uh, uh, reports from virus, uh, yeah. vulnerability researchers saying, hey, I found a thing in your, in your code, right? So then they use the vulnerability scanning tools to go determine if that thing in my code really exists. Uh, oftentimes there's a, a deep investigation in that. And then sometimes incident response is pulled in, especially if it's been exploited already, right? Uh, then we come back to, okay, well, we go pay the virus researcher, the vulnerability researcher who found it for us. And, and we go take on the next one, right? That's, that's our bug bounty team. Uh, and penetration testing. Now, this is the sexy area. This is the one that everybody knows of first. And I thank you for following me all the way to number 13 to get here. Because, oh my goodness, did you hear how much was available to you before we even got to 13? Yeah, and 13 is like the thing that everybody knows about. You know, I want to be a network penetration tester, red team, blah, blah, blah. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more. Oh man, eat the whole hamburger. There's a lot of good food there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to turn the corner now. Uh, penetration testing is really turning that corner from prepare and defend and moving more into actively looking for exploits, right? And that's what threat hunting becomes, right? Threat hunting is pen testing on steroids, all right? It's not in place everywhere. This is not something that every security organization is doing yet. Number 14, threat hunting. It blends with a threat intel team and is very much actively internal testing. It's been called pen testing with less paperwork. <laughs> That's great. You know, uh, threat hunting is absolutely the future, I think, because um, 
it's just so relatively easy today compared in the past for a cyber attacker to gain a foothold in your network and then to to do it silently and then to sit and watch and observe and to do that silently. So if you're not looking for them, you're not going to see them. And we just know that this has been happening a lot. Uh, Equifax, right? I read every report I could get my hands on that uh, purported to uh, describe how the Equifax hack went down. And a common theme in there was that the attackers gained a, a foothold. They did it silently and they maintained that foothold and conducted extensive internal reconnaissance for weeks. Yeah, and so the the phrase assumption of breach is one of the critical phrases in a security organization. We have to assume that our organization has been breached uh, and whether or not we know about it or not, right? And that's why our threat hunting steps up and says, let's see if we can solve that. Yeah. Uh, Threat hunting is paired with number 15, threat intelligence. They have very similar names, but they have very different functions, right? If threat hunting is internal uh, evaluation of my network and my environment, Threat intelligence is looking outside. It's monitoring the dark web for mentions of my company name, for my executive names, or for industry players. It, it's going to monitor active weaponized attacks. And then I'm going to provide daily briefs on what I'm seeing on the dark webs to my leadership and, and to my peers so that we can better protect and defend our organization. You know, a lot of organizations are so busy looking at their own stuff that they really just miss what's going on outside their four walls and the world can just pass them by. I've, I've seen this happen and I've helped different companies figure out what to do about it because they, they didn't have a threat Intel uh, capability and they just, they just fell behind and they had, they had to figure out how to catch up. And the threat intelligence feeds are getting smarter and smarter so that we can, we can really rely on those in some cases to help us. If we, if we don't have the manpower to build a big organization, Let's use the, the feeds available to us to build something. All right, so that takes us to the end of engineering, architecture, and test. We're going to jump to the top left in governance, risk, and compliance. Okay, two security orgs down, two to go. Indeed, indeed. So we're going to start with security governance because everybody loves that word governance. It means, <laughs> it means so many things to so many people. And, and I would ask you to stay with me because there's a lot of really interesting jobs in that governance, governance risk, and compliance space. And a lot of places where you can get started as a, a team member, sometimes uh, get started in a non-technical but still security-related role, uh, or maybe technical in different ways. Instead of being a software developer technical, maybe it's more of a, a compliance specialist or a, a technical analyst. Uh, and so let's take a look. Number 20 is our governance and PMO, right? This is the group that does our annual planning. They figure out what our organizational priorities are. They set the budget. They set the goals, uh, prioritize projects, and track against those projects as they work to deliver them. The PMO means Project Management Office, and this is where your project managers start out, right? Uh, and so you may find there's a, a small group of project managers, and that would be a great place for a, a college graduate to get started. The number 21 is your policies and standards. That's your policy governance. Uh, usually there is one policy administrator for the organization. If there's an open position for policy administrator, uh, that's very much an entry-level role and can also be done by a very senior person, right? Uh, it, it is not, uh, whatever that policy manager administrator brings to the role is going to be a benefit to the, the organization. And so sometimes that's lower level, sometimes that's a higher level individual. 
uh, both, uh, both bring a lot of value. Yeah, and I, and I want to take a moment to say that um, there's opportunities for people who are coming in. Like if, you, if you're good at project management in, in the construction industry, uh, you have a ton of transferable skills here. So uh, same with policy, right? If, you're, if you have experience administering policies in other contexts, uh, human resources or what have you, um, lots of transferable mm -hmm. skills. A lot of technical writing skills that go into policy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my policy administrator does not and almost never actually defines or dictates what the policy should be. They're all about the process of how do I receive the input, evaluate it uh, against the, the committee that owns it. Once everybody says yes, then move it forward for signatures. Uh, so it's very much an administrator type role. That, that third one I'm going to call it uh, in governance is number 22, management reporting. Uh, this is the governance team that reports to your board of directors, right? This is the governance team that brings your enterprise risk, your cyber risk to your enterprise risk. Uh, it's, this is the team that reports to governance councils for privacy and security. Uh, they also own the analytics platform, right? If security analytics is a thing, and, and I'm going to say that's kind of a new thing, uh, it's pretty powerful to have a security analytics function, and it would live with this reporting team. And think about the cru how crucial this is that you have really good data quality and also that you are presenting the data in a way that sets up the decision makers for success. I've seen this done very poorly, and it left the decision makers confused about what they really should be paying attention to. And I've seen this done really well and such a difference because then the decision makers are empowered and they're allocating resources in a much more effective way. And they generally spend less money too because the money that they are spending is actually uh, you know, producing better results and more results. So um, yeah, this is, a, this is a crucial function. I'm gonna go ahead and spin off on that for just a second as well and say a well-defined problem leads to a very obvious solution in most mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. and, and defining a problem well is going to come with data, right? And that data is going to come from your management reporting and security analytics. So very much uh, a well-defined problem, easy solutions. If you've got easy solutions, you take them up to that PMO team and you line them up for next year's budget. And then mm -hmm. you use the PMs to deliver against that those projects. So that management reporting really is a critical, critical function for security. All right. Uh, next one down is cyber risk management. Uh, there are two functions inside here. 23 is cyber risk management. 24 is third party and vendor risk for your cyber risk management, right? Uh, this is the team that owns your risk register. Uh, they own, or sometimes it's called a, a, a risk reserve or risk register. Uh, have you heard it? Other names as well? Uh, risk register is the common one that I yeah. hear. Uh, and what's a risk register? Well, it's just a list of all the risks that you know about, and uh, and it's quantified and described and hopefully prioritized. That's it. Crucial. Better be prioritized, and it needs to be written in business language, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't write it in tech speak and tech jargon because no one will understand why that risk matters. No, nope. got to be written in business language. And that's a that's a very common oversight slash uh, mistake. And, um, and again, it kind of goes to this idea that decision makers need to be set up for success and a bunch of tech jargon is typically not going to do that. But you need to understand the technology in order to be able to write down the business problems that are created in, in a cyber yeah. risk space. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage you, this is a great place for a new person to get started because they get a chance to 
consume the technical, apply the business, prioritize and stack rank what scares us the most and why, because this is the team that defines what keeps us up at night. Super insightful. Uh, so this is also the team that interfaces with enterprise risk. So cyber risk makes their list and then cyber risk gives it to the enterprise risk team, which is a, a larger enterprise organization. If you've got the, the big company, the fortune 100 type thing. Yeah. And they're looking at all kinds of things like, you know, currency fluctuations. I mean, it's amazing the different types of enterprise risks that they will track and cyber risk is just one. One of 15. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They've got a lot going on. All right. So third-party risk is another interesting place, right? Be and, and this is a, an organization, an example of one that just opened up in the last couple of years, right? There was not third-party risk five years ago. Uh, not, I'm sorry, there were third-party risks. We did not have them calculated or quantified or managed effectively That's until right. Target happened, right? right? Target and the HVAC system turned over a new leaf and we invented third-party and vendor risk management for security organizations. So let's think about what that team is for just a minute, right? Uh, customer has given me their data. I am using their data. I want to integrate their data with something else. So I ask a third party to take my customer data and use it over here for their for the customer's benefit and then give it back to me, right? Mm -hmm. In doing so, that third party is now accountable for my promises that I've made to my customer. Yep. And this is just evaluating that third party to make sure that that their policies and standards are consistent with my policies and standards, and they're going to take yeah. care of my customer the same way I would. Right? Yeah. And so let me give you let me give you a, a quick example, right? So it could be like I'm a bank or a credit union, and I need to mail statements on every month to my account holders. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, these days banks don't print their own statements; they outsource that, and so that means there's a printing press somewhere. Uh, or a big bank of laser printers or what have you. <laughs> and the data has to be printed out on paper, which means it's got to be shared. And I'm sorry, but the even the best printing uh, organizations in the world don't consider themselves to be banks, right? So, but but they've got to protect that data as a bank would. And so, right, hopefully this starts to, you know, put just a little bit of color on the fact that you know, it's great to use a third-party vendor that has a specialty in something that would, you know, that would take you a lot of time and energy to develop when, when you, what you really want to do is run a bank or a credit union, right? You don't want to be a printing expert, but it's, but it's, it's how that data flows back and forth that can create a lot of problems uh, in terms Very of so. data breach. Right. Thank you. And now we're going to jump to number 25, compliance. Compliance is a tiny little piece of this diagram, but I'm going to tell you, it can grow to be pretty big, especially if you ignore it. <laughs> yeah. Compliance is, is regulatory compliance. It's government driven. It could also be industry driven. It could be, uh, it can come from any different sources. Uh, but once those compliance requirements are in place, uh, we've got to figure out as an enterprise organization how we're going to respond to those. It could be internal compliance too, right? Because you have your own internal policies and those policies exist for a reason. People need to follow them. Well said. Well <laughs> said. So what are some examples of compliance that we would expect to see if we're at a, in, a, in the common marketplace today? Oh, gosh, there could be, um, you know, if you're taking credit cards, then, you know, the credit card payment industry has self-regulated. PCI and so is you've a got big deal. PCI DSS, right? So that's something. And that's a big deal because if you if you don't adhere to it, then your uh, your right to 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 process credit cards and to receive payments for services and products can be revoked. 
Yikes. Revoked or the cost of doing business goes up if you start having findings, right? If you start right. having errors and findings, they just say, well, instead of 0.25 cents per transaction, we're going to charge you uh, three, three pennies per transaction, right? Which is a, a significant business hit. Right. And uh, yep. it's amazing how much more your business wants to comply and help you comply when the cost goes up. Yeah, but there's there's other slippery compliance things too that um, don't immediately result in uh, such obvious, uh, you know, uh, detriments. So if you're a healthcare uh, Mm -hmm. entity, right, you're a medical center, and you are outsourcing uh, laboratory diagnosis, uh, diagnosis, right? So so testing of blood and whatever tissues and that sort of thing, right? Um, then you're going to have to have an agreement with those organizations, a business associate agreement, to make sure that that, that healthcare information is protected. Uh, sometimes you might actually share that information with an actuary, an mm-hmm. actuarial firm, because you're trying to figure out what your costs are going to be next year. Um, or if you're an insurance company, how much should you charge uh, you know, for, for insurance premiums in the, in the next year? So you've got to share that data, and you need an agreement that's going to uh, you know, decrease the risk that this partner is going to fumble the ball. But the thing about it is if you don't put an agreement in place, um, you know, it won't necessarily come back and, and bite you in such a direct way as a credit card, uh, you know, increase of processing fees. Um, but it could bring you to a massive data breach, which would be very unfortunate. So what you what I heard you talking about a little bit was the uh, HIPAA, right? The health That's health right. regulations, HIPAA, right? I'm going to drop a couple yep. other acronyms on you just so I can sound smart along the way, right? But we've got <laughs> SOX, which is our Sarbanes-Oxley law that came out in 2002 mm-hmm. and is very much about user permissioning uh, and making sure that the person who writes the check and the person who 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 uh, signs the check are two different people, right? If you can't if you can print it, you can't sign it, kind of thing. And that's true. That's a very simple example. But Sarbanes-Oxley is about segregation of duties and least privileged access. And that, if you're a publicly traded company, then that is on your compliance landscape. It is, very much so for every material application. And what about privacy? Let's not forget GDPR, uh, CCPA, right? So uh-huh. what, what kind of data can we collect? And then how do we have to protect it? And how do we have to delete it if a proper delete request shows up? So... So GDPR is for European citizens. CCPA is for California citizens. Uh, I really wish we had some privacy laws here in Washington state. One day, I hope we will. Um, Well, you know, it it turns out, and just a quick aside, right, that uh, organizations that operate nationally in the United States are typically uh, standardizing their privacy practices to the California requirements. So it's it's actually starting to have an effect uh, on the the broader national landscape. Another one might be GLBA, right? The Graham Leach Bliley Act uh, for banking, right? Uh, one thing we, uh, one thing I saw in telecom was was CPNI, right? That's your call data records, and and making sure that nobody can download the the last uh, ten phone calls that uh, what was her name? Uh, I don't know. I, I, some folks downloaded a bunch of of call <laughs> records for for famous actresses and and thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, oh gosh, it just goes on and on, right? So there could be uh, criminal justice information. Um, you know, if you're doing if you're doing business with anybody in the criminal justice mm-hmm. system, um, education, gosh. education yeah. information, and what you share with your professors, and and maybe the last one I want to call out is is child protection, right? Anybody under th- the age of thirteen. So there's a lot there's of clients out there. 
There's a lot. This box is too small. Let's make it bigger. <laughs> make it bigger. <laughs> Put stars next to it. Make it shiny. <laughs> yep. The color red. More red. I- <laughs> make it pretty all right and the last one is actually my favorite it's security awareness and training right number 26 training and awareness oh the, not the college entrance exam that's a no not sats like your college entrance exam it's security awareness and training and this is this is your october Cybersecurity awareness month this is your training arm of the organization and this is a great place to start your career right this is about influencing and about changing the behavior of an organization from what was to what is healthy, right? The, the threats that happened in the marketplace 20 years ago when I got started are not the threats of today. And the behavior right. that I had 20 years ago is no longer acceptable in today's marketplace. That's right. Yeah. Phishing attacks, password management. Uh, it just goes on and on. Uh, I will talk about seatbelts at some point later, right? But the understanding that when we grew up, no one was required to wear a seatbelt. But somehow, in our economy, in our country, in our world, we all learned that seatbelts are valuable and part of, of daily life. And click it or ticket is part of everybody's language now. How right? did that happen? And how do we make that happen in the security space is what security awareness and training is about. Yeah, and a closely related uh, example, which I think is really good, is driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I mean, when I, when I grew up, um, you know, it was like, oh, you know, there goes Pete again, home from the bar. Watch out for Pete. He swerves on the road. I mean, it really wasn't taken seriously. It and was that just was like, not good. No, it was terrible. We lost a lot of lives. We did. And, but look where we've been able to get. It's fantastic. We have really turned that one around as a country as well, as a people. All right. So that takes us to the end of governance, risk, and compliance. Three down, one to go. <laughs> yes, indeed. Product security <laughs> is our last one. Uh, there are two arms to this. Uh, it is Number 31 is product security. Number 32 is your product services security. I want to call that out as two separate things. We did a little bit on that earlier. Product uh, In our last episode, uh, product security number 31 is about device security and device privacy. It's about product third-party risk. It's about product compliance, product feature grooming. It's really a parallel of a lot of the services we've seen inside our enterprise applied to the product or device that we're delivering to our customer. Uh, product design, engineering, and tests, right? Architecture, those are all pieces to that product security. Now then, uh, the second one, 32, is product services security. And that's really, it's all the same things for the service end of your product, right? So we talked about Xbox previously, and Xbox is the product and then the Xbox Online is your product services. Right. This yep. is a focus more, on web security, network security, mm-hmm. customer identity. Yep. And we're seeing more and more and more of this as time rolls on, um, as more products become internet connected, internet capable, and that we're delivering services to those internet, internet connected products. Um, you know, hey, when I'm running out of milk, I want my refrigerator to tell me. And your IoT device is the product security and the connection between that IoT device and your email telling you that it's time to buy milk is the service. Right. And it's got to be secure. So, folks, I want to thank you for joining us on this tour of the common security team structure. This is not how every team is built. This is how some teams are built. There's sometimes a little more, sometimes a little bit less. But in every case, it is a good example of how we can get started. And then we decide in and decide out what we do from here. We're going to use this diagram as a platform for everything else we do in this this podcast. It's going to be a roadmap for where we go from here. 
we're going to revisit it very often and drill deeper into a lot of these organizations, disciplines, services, and some of the teams too. Yeah. And some of the jobs that might be available to you as somebody who is new, trying to cross into cybersecurity, and then jobs that you can grow into. Okay. Um, so all of that is coming, uh, coming ahead in future episodes. It is. So the key takeaways, cybersecurity is complex, but it's understandable. It also is understandable and navigating it, understanding it helps us find our dream jobs. That's right. You want to get a nice fit right between who are you? What kind of work do you like to do? What are your strengths, right? You want a job that's going to play to your strengths. You're going to want a job that fits right? The way you like to work. Do you like high energy environments? Do you like low energy environments? You're going to find all this stuff, you know, at different levels of intensity throughout the organization. So, um, so stick with us and we'll, we'll help you uh, understand all of it. Next week, we're going to cover a high level of security budget, staffing and organizational models. I realize that's not directly related with what job am I going to get? But if you can see, if you look at the budgets and you look at the staffing, you can see what organizations have a lot of heads that you might be interested in pursuing, right? Yeah, and that's right. That, I mean, you got to go know what's, you, get, you, you, you need to know where the opportunities are, right? If there's a single job position in an entire organization and you want it and that person isn't leaving anytime soon, um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, what you need to look for do? more opportunities. We do. Yes, we're, we we're going to give you some. We're going to give you some insights on that. Very much. Uh, this was a lot of fun, Kip. Thank you for for uh, doing this together. This I've really enjoyed introducing the security organization. I look forward to where we go from here. Oh yeah, and uh, listen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are liking what you see, if you want more of it, if you if you want uh, you know us to answer different questions about this material, then let us know, right? Send us a note. You can reach me at kip at yourcyberpath.com. I read everything that people send into that address. I'm not always able to reply to everything, but I do read everything. And we want to hear from you. And, um, and then beyond that, you know, if, if you generally like what we're doing with this podcast, then I want to let you know about a free guide that's available to you. And it's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream cybersecurity job. And if you've ever played capture the flag, whether, uh, you know, in the woods, you know, at night, like, like I did when I was a kid or, you know, the, the electronic equivalent these days, um, think about that approach, right? You have an objective, you want to capture that flag and you can actually take that approach and successfully apply it to competing and winning, uh, in your hunt for the great cybersecurity dream job that you're thinking about. It's a really helpful visual guide. It's about 20 pages. It has uh, screenshots, specific instructions in there that you can follow. And, uh, and it will teach you how to hunt for jobs and find hiring managers by using LinkedIn and Twitter. It's really great. If you want to get it, go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF. You can put your email address in there and download it right away. Check it out. Let us know what you think of it. And that does it for today. So until uh, we see you again, remember that you're just one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. Thanks for being here.